All right, what I want to do this morning really is just do a kind of a 10-minute potted addition to what I was talking about last week. Is that okay? Um, Last week I was talking about um, the war that we are in, the war of the enemy in in the world around about us, the war of lies coming against every single one of us. Also the fact that we are not simply supercomputers, pragmatic and logical information in and then behaviours all get sorted. Who wished that you could just tell yourself to behave a certain way and you just obeyed? Anybody? Like don't have another donut. you wish that you would obey that. But like Romans 8, I think we all find ourselves in the world of I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do. That's the war that we're in. And I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, I think the modern sense of freedom, the world that we live in, and certainly if you've got teenage kids, they'll be They'll be saturated in this at school. The current modern concept of personal freedom is the freedom to do whatever I want. And that's what modern freedom is considered to be. But ancient freedom was the freedom to be free from all the things going on inside of me. All those, I want to eat more donuts than is healthy. Come on, just one more chip with the hull spice sauce on it, right? You know, uh, and all the other things that are just less funny but can be dark and shameful and difficult and mess us up and mess up our minds and our hearts and our souls. While God wants to form you into the image of Christ, the enemy wants to deform you and we'll do it ever so subtly. And I suppose this is one of the big challenges that we face. Christians with their family values, we were considered just to be a bit weird. Is that right? It's a bit bit weird that we didn't, you know, live as boyfriends and girlfriends before we married or, or sleep with partners before we're married or, you know, do our absolute utmost to not end up down the road of divorce. And I think the whole world 30 years ago thought, well, we're a little bit weird. Now, this is the world that we live in. They actually think we're dangerous for believing that. And a little bit more than weird, uh, oppressive even. And so we do face a rampaging river of very different thinking to Christ's thinking. And so I thought I'd talk a little bit more about that for 10 minutes. Is that okay? Please notice the 10 minutes starts now. Is that, is that, is that wrong? Am I, am I cheating? Could, you know... If you've got a Bible, turn to Galatians. Galatians 5. Uh, You know, grab it on your phone, anything like that. We'll take a couple of scriptures, then I just want to, I want to talk about how rather than what. I want to just kind of hopefully give a few clues about how we do this personally. How with Christ's help we overcome the stuff that's within us. And to be honest, if you're not most of your life trying to overcome something, it's not that you've won, it's probably that you've given up. Uh, and it's probably that we can come to the point, I think Christians deal with what we consider to be the big sins first. Don't, you know, we, 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 we try to deal with the big dirty ones, the big shameful ones, but then lots of really lovely, gorgeous Christians, they, they, might, they might have, you know, let's pretty well try and deal with lust and pornography and knock it on the head. They're the big dirty ones that nobody wants to admit. But then I see Christians that have been Christians 50 years that are still enslaved to anxiety and don't consider it as much of a sin as watching pornography. So now we leveled the playing field a little bit. Do you know that Revelation says cowards will not enter heaven? Not just adulterers, cowards. I find that scary. Oh no, I can't find it scary. I'd be a coward. (laughs) 
So in other words, there's lots that God wants to deal inside of us. And if you're anything like me, when you just about feel like you've got sorted and you're doing all right, God says, okay, right, on to the next lesson because he is forming us into the image of Christ. So let's not think of these as just being the big, dirty, shameful things, the, 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 the big pieces that we think that's really wrong. Actually, you know what? Um, in 32 years of pastoral ministry, I think I've had more problem from people struggling with gossip than people struggling with gay tendencies. And gossip can be as destructive. And yet we go, but that's not a dirty, nasty sin. It's something that we cover in the guise of a prayer request. <laughs> Two of you got that. Okay. So Galatians 5, let's just do a little bit on this and see if I can be helpful. I hope I am. Galatians 5.13 says this, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And then near the end of the chapter, there's this one, oh, let's stop by verse 16 onwards for a minute. That, well, I wasn't going to do it, but it's there and it's so good. Galatians 5, 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Uh, and then let's land on verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Flesh is, is your soul, your mind, your body acting independent from God. So that's why you get this, this conflict of spirit, living by the spirit and doing what God wants. And then my flesh is just not speaking about your human body. It is all of you desiring and running after that which is not of God. So you've got this fight going on. Now here it says, what we're not supposed to do is indulge the flesh. We're supposed to crucify the flesh. God doesn't want to improve you. He wants to kill you. So let's just think about this for a moment as I lead us towards communion. Is that okay? So we're going to take communion in a moment. We're going to remember the death and resurrection of, of Jesus. And we're going to spend some moments in prayer. But let's just think about this. We, we love the concept of Jesus being our saviour on the cross. And as it were, we hide under the redemption, the rescuing of what he did. But there's another part to biblical living, which is I don't just reverence and worship Jesus on the cross, there is some way that I pick me up and I put me on the cross in him. I crucify stuff inside me that shouldn't be there. And we never outgrow that. Um, the subtleties of ego, the subtleties of a lazy lifestyle, the subtleties of, of shame can affect us as much as the big sins. So I want to talk for 10 minutes and the 10 minutes starts now on how do you crucify your flesh? Because just like me, you probably still need to get up on the cross. Thankfully, it is not a literal cross for us, right? It is, it is how do I apply the power of Jesus' death and resurrection to what's going on inside me so I don't live at the low level of my flesh desires, but rather I become more and more like Christ. We're supposed to be crucified with him. Amen? So, some thoughts about that. Uh, 
uh, old preacher's story. A, a man had two dogs and he used them as fighting dogs and he used to have betting go on around the, the, the when the dogs would fight and he'd get all the public to, to bet on which of the two dogs, I don't know their names, Bill and Ben, oh no I can't use Bill today, no, um, uh, um, Steve and Gertrude, um, and they, they would fight and for some reason he always got it right as to which dog was going to win. He would win the bet every time. He would say, which one do you think is going to win? And they'd all bet on a certain one. And, but he'd, he'd go, no, no, it's, it, it's actually going to be the other way around. And he'd always win the bet. And they'd say, how do you always win the bet knowing which of these two equal-looking dogs is going to win every time? He said, it's easy. They're my dogs. I know whichever one I starve for the week leading up to the fight is the one that's going to lose. What you starve Losers. Here's the first thing that we, that we use to crucify those things inside us from anxiety to big lusts and difficulties and addictions in our life. The first thing is that we begin to starve these powerful things of attention and focus. And let me, let me, let me just uh, assure you that they, they might not die immediately, but they die slowly. And they fall away like autumn leaves if we begin to starve the flesh and feed the spirit so that we reap from God and that we begin to not reap from the areas of our flesh. We starve them. We take the focus away. I love the picture that that Jesus uses where he says, our eyes are like lamps. They literally, to, 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 to get the picture correct for you, because I never got this as a kid, that they're lamps that shine into you. In other words, what comes through your eyes shines into your soul. Do you know that um, uh, Fox News, when it first came out, uh, had a little Fox News logo in the corner and they discovered that people were leaving their news reports, their televisions on so much and for so long that the Fox News logo was being burned into the screen so that even when you turned it off, it was still there. And so they had to start to move the Fox logo. There's some people that would just leave the news on all day like me, so I don't anymore. But the thing is, in the same way, things can be burned into our souls by continual focus. Have you ever looked at something, then close your eyes and you can see like the black and white image of it on your eyelids? It gets burned into you. Now, these are just pictures of the real thing. But what we look at a lot, we become like what we contemplate. We have to, as I said last week, shut the windows to stuff that we don't want to be stirred up in us anymore and stop thinking, well, you know, if these are the awful things inside me, that must be who I am. Well, there goes all of us. The wonder is that Jesus came to set us free from ourselves and all the stuff that goes on inside. And so we, we starve the things. Now, these eyes, Jesus also said, you don't take a lamp and stick it under a bucket. You pick the lamp up and you put it high up where it can shine. Don't leave your eyes down in the filth of the world. Don't watch 24 hours a day Fox News or any other news. Lift your eyes up and put your eyes in the presence of God. Whatever is noble, admirable, beautiful, praiseworthy. Think on such things, the Bible says. We get our eyes up on the good things of God and what you will find is transformation begins to happen inside of you. It's the first way that we crucify the flesh is we starve what we don't want to grow. So we cut it off. Here's a second one. Purpose. 
Purpose is really powerful. I heard a great phrase this week. Catch this. The antidote to addiction is not self-control. It's purpose. And this is how Alcoholics Anonymous works. They realize that the thing to tell an alcoholic is not stop drinking. It is to give an alternative purpose. In fact, this secular uh, psychologist was actually saying it's actually purpose alongside spiritual transformation. In other words, purpose in the context of God, this secular psychologist would say, is just about the only thing that really seems to shift alcoholism. The antidote to addiction is not self-control. You wish you could just go, come on, Cooper, no more donuts. Come on, Cooper, you don't need a second box of Pringles. But let's be honest, once you pop, you just can't stop. You know that better than the scriptures. Look at you. How do we stop ourselves? It's easy amongst friends. There's something to learn. It's easy when we're being watched. It's powerful and it's useful in a, in a good sense. We're in company. But when you're alone in the dark, feeling lonely, feeling a bit lost, feeling a little bit of a, a loss of affection and love, the Pringles cry loud from the cupboard. Anybody notice? The Pringles cry. The tobacco cries. The alcohol cries. When you're alone and lonely in the darkness of your own thoughts, you know you are not as self-disciplined as you portray to the people around about you. Shall we all admit it? Okay, so what do we do? You have an alternative purpose. So listen, you want to quit smoking, you can tell yourself all, you can tell yourself all day, I need to quit smoking. I need to stop smoking. But you know, actually, there's a subtle difference between I need to stop smoking and I need to get fit. So I can see my children. So I can see my grandchildren. So I can live a fulfilling life. So I can live as long as possible. God has a purpose for me. Do you know that John Wesley used to say, if I don't preach several times a day, I backslide. There's something about purpose that gets us out of bed, that gets us responding differently. Use purpose. Some of us are at the, at the mercy of the desires inside of us because, because we have no alternative purpose and we're simply trying to beat things by self-control. And every time it beats you, you just feel worse, which sends you back to your bad addictions. Here's the thing. Don't fight addictive, even if the addiction is anxiety and fear. Don't fight it with self-control. Fight it with purpose. Be about, who, who was it mentioned? Be, you know, be an organizer. Find a cause and get involved. If your evenings, a lot of sin happens in the evening and at night, have you noticed? Fill those times with some purpose in God and you will find that sin falls away like an autumn leaf. You will struggle to fight just with self-discipline. Add purpose to it. I'm going to the prayer meeting on a Wednesday night instead of sitting at home miserable and then discovering that, hey, I've sinned again. Go somewhere and put purpose inside you. And you know what you do? You crucify the flesh and its desires. Um, just two more. Friendship. I've already mentioned it, really. The people around you affect you deeply. And you know, there are some things that, let's be honest, they, they, they're hard to be broken when you're on your own. Just whisper to someone near you, I need help. Go on, just tell them. Be honest, I need help. You do, we're not very good on our own. 
a famous American comic was due to go and entertain the troops at, I can't remember what war it was or how far back it was, but you know how these American comics turn up at bases in foreign countries and entertain the troops. And, and he was a really quite a famous guy and he said he'd, he'd agreed to be able to turn up for 10 minutes before he was whisked to another appointment. And so he turned up, he had 10 minutes to give and he went out and he started doing his 10 minutes and half an hour later he was still going. 45 minutes later, he finally walked off stage and the organiser said, I thought you had to go after 10 minutes. He said, yeah, but can you see on the front row, the two amputees with one arm each? They're sat next to each other, clapping together because it's the only way they could clap. He said, I wasn't going to give that just 10 minutes. I had to give them something to clap about. Listen, every single one of us in the room has stuff we're dealing with and we need each other. But when one amputee sits next to another amputee and says we might not be perfect but I know how to help you fix that one don't end up in a lonely shame-filled grave because of something that is a perfectly normal fight that probably two-thirds of this room have fought through and many have come through victorious we're all dealing with stuff sit next to someone and say have you ever dealt with you'll be shocked the greatest thing in dealing with, you know, some of the ones that people feel most shame about is, is young men often dealing with things like pornography and lust and all these things. And they feel a bit trapped and a bit alone. And they finally sit down. And of course, in three decades, I've had plenty of conversations with young men about this. They think they're the only one. They think they're the only man in the world to ever have a lustful thought. And they sit down and you can see the greatest thing is what happens next the moment it comes out my mouth and I admit the shameful thing I've been doing and they find it amazing when I sit there and go oh well that's perfectly normal isn't it let's help you so many people struggle with stuff on their own and the greatest lie of the enemy is I'm on my own and this is awful and I think this is going to be me and I don't know how to overcome this tangle can I tell you Jesus has set free person after person after person. You just need to sit next to some amputee and learn to work together and realize together we have the victory in Christ. You can overcome it. I don't care what you're in. Don't sit alone. Talk to someone that you can trust. Talk to someone that you feel comfortable with and break free from what's going on inside you. It's the freedom to not indulge it. And finally, I would say, because I've gone over time, who'd have thought? 10 minutes starts now. Um, endure. You know, there's some real tough stuff in life. You know, the cycles of anxiety and fear and worry. So they're really tough to break, right? Some of us face really difficult things and you think, well, I've not got over it in the first three weeks. Uh, Vic, Vicky and I were, were doing some stuff in the front of our garden. Anybody that drives uh, past the outside of our house will remember that we had a very, very large, what was it called? That succulent? Oh, say again. Well, we called it Boris because it was just an enormous succulent plant. And honestly, I kept, I was creeping my car onto the neighbor's drive more and more because you couldn't park the car in our drive and get out. And so in the end, we realized, okay, we've got to get Boris out. And as usually happens in, in, in our family, Vicky, Vicky starts it, she's the gardener and she's out there and she chops Boris's hair off. And so, so that's all gone and in the brown bin. And, and then she's starting to, and you know, it's been there five years. I mean, the roots were pre, six years, the roots, 
roots were, were pretty deep. And so she begins to cut around them. And, and, and then we're wiggling this thing back and forward. Me, just so you know what kind of personality I am, let's just, just help me. Somebody be like me in the room, please. But I give it about 10 wiggles and go, we're not going to get that out. And I, you know, <laughs> I, I go back. And, and then, then I look out and, you know, half an hour later, she's still there wiggling it back and forward. Listen, some things don't come out by 10 wiggles and a little bit of chopping. 300 times later, it broke free. And then we had to chop it up and get it in the brown bin. We saw the poor brown bin bin when we're like, flipping out, what's in this? You know. But we, we dealt with it, but it didn't come by the first 10 rocks and the first 10 cuts around. We probably went round and round and round with spades and cutting instruments probably 20, 30 times. It doesn't come out the first five times or the first 10. It doesn't come out by the first 50 rocks. 300 rocks later, just little by little you can feel, ah, it's going, it's loosening, things are changing. And that's what life is like. Don't think, well, this is me, I can't overcome this tangle thing. No, you just keep going. There's some things you're fighting now that you are going to reach victory in 15 years time. Now I know you slightly want to beat me up over that one, but listen, understand this. One, God isn't shocked by your sin. That's why he died, so he can call you holy while you're being made holy. That's Hebrews. He can call you perfect while you're being made perfect. So one, God isn't shocked by your sin. Number two, he is teaching you to fight. Literally, in the promised land, they left God, it says, it, uh, Judges 3, I think it is, God left enemies in the promised land to teach them to fight. That thing you're dealing with is because he wants to teach you how to fight what's in you, so then you can begin to fight what's in the land. But if we can't fight what's in us, if you can't control your own spirit, Proverbs said, how can you take a city? So we start to learn to fight by overcoming the ego, the fears, the lust, the addictions, the, 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 the laziness in our own lives. And then slowly that turns us into warriors. So listen, can I say weirdly, thank God for the enemies that are still in your promised land. They're there to teach you to fight, not to teach you to give up. Some of you might reach victory in three years or 13 years, or even 30 years. But realize this, God is teaching us to fight and you will have the victory. Keep going, endure. Amen.